Well, it's been a while, hasn't it? Five weeks. Five weeks Five. break. Five whole weeks. So have we come back with an all-new show and website and uh, organised show notes? <coughs> have we, bugger? <laughs> we'll get there. You know, there are, there are other things um, to do, aren't there? We find. Why don't you introduce the show and we'll gloss over our slackitude. <laughs> John, welcome to North v South, the podcast about but not about design. This is episode 47. Uh, I'm Rob Turpin, and uh, my partner in crime is John Elliman. Hello. Hello. So, uh, do you want to explain? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop. I just have to do this bit. I feel more relaxed with a beer. Hitachi no Nest. Oh yeah, strange. Oh, is that yeah. the orange one? Um, no, it's, I don't think this one is. No, it's got a unique sweet flavour of rice koji. Oh, and an aromatic kick of yuzu citrus. Mm. <clears throat> Great branding on it. Mm, it's not bad at all. I like it's the lid. The lid's got an owl on it, hasn't it? Yeah, there's a big owl on the front of mine as well. Yeah, nice. So, uh, it's, our last episode was on 23rd of February, and it's been five weeks, Rob. What's been going it on? It has. Well, partly that's my fault, isn't it? I had the temerity to uh, bugger off on holiday for two and a bit weeks. Um, so I had a, a delightful uh, break with my wife in uh, in the middle of the Indian Ocean which was fab. It was hot and sandy and sunny. Uh, very relaxing. Read lots of books. Spent a lot of time in the sea. A lot of time in the pool. Um, and it was great. But I didn't do much else other than that. You know, cocktails at sunset. Um, but it's, uh, it's a beautiful place. Uh, aside from kind of the the luxury and the you know, amazing food and amazing service and everything. Being on an island in the middle of the Indian Ocean is really quite a remarkable thing. You're so close to the equator. You get this real vivid sense of being on a planet. I know that sounds a bit weird, but because you can see the horizon in kind of most directions and the sun just goes straight up and straight down over your head and and the stars and the moon and everything just kind of follows this really obvious kind of wheel in the sky. You, uh, you, you, yeah, you just get this real vivid sense of being on a great big sphere in the middle of space. Wow. Which is great. I mean, the stars at night, because there's, you know, there's zero light pollution is it's just incredible. Um, so it's really quite a remarkable place. Um, yeah, so it was lovely. It's uh, nice to be back. I, we kind of got back and then immediately went up to York for a few days. We'd missed my dad's 70th birthday being, in the, being on holiday. So we shot up to York, met up with the family and got out and about, got up to Whitby. Um, went and visited my friends. We've just bought a restaurant, which is nice and exciting. Uh, and then had a little party for my dad. So it was all good. What kind of restaurant? They've bought like a little bistro in Nairsborough. Do you know Nairsborough? No. 
Um, little market town, uh, kind of between York and Harrogate. Um, and I, I hadn't been there for years. We used to go there a lot as a kid because it had a zoo. Um, but I hadn't been there for years. And I was thinking when they told me about it, I was thinking, oh, they've, that's really not a, there's nothing going on in Nairsborough. But it's, you know, like most other towns in the last 25 years, it's changed out of all recognition. And it's full of nice little cafes and bars and pubs serving craft beers and things. So they've got, yeah, this little bistro called Six Poor Folk. Um, it's got a blue plaque on the wall outside commemorating the building as an alms house um, that used to serve food to the six poor folk of Nairsborough. Okay. Hmm. And it was good. We went for brunch. Not the six poor folk, not just six people. You mean sick? No, no, six. Oh, right. There are only six, six. poor people. Yes. <laughs> the six poor folk of uh, Nairsborough. Wow. Yeah, so that was nice. Um, so it's very exciting for them. Um, what about you? Well, it was my mother's 70th mm. um, uh, at the weekend. Same day as your birth. Oh, don't know. Day after your birthday, I think. Yeah. yeah happy, happy birthday. James happy Paul. birthday to you. Thank you. Yeah. So I was in um, the Mendip Hills, which is just south of Bath. Beautiful it's part cool. of the country. It is. Uh, yeah. So that was lots of fun. Um, and uh, what have I been up to? I've been to Newcastle. While you were swanning it around the Indian Ocean, yep. I, f- I flew turbo propeller from Southampton to Newcastle to play golf in the rain. Ah, of course. <laughs> you're stag dude. I'm the, uh, not your the, I'm the yang to your ying. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you're crazy keen on golf, aren't you? I love it. It's my favourite occupation, apart from tax returns. <laughs> but you survived john that's the the most important thing <clears throat> yeah i only had to play 18 holes in the end so i got away with murder <clears throat> um funniest bit was somebody hitting one of our party hitting a ball that curved so much it went through somebody's uh conservatory <laughs> <laughs> did they earn up no we didn't we legged it <laughs> shocking behavior uh it was very funny. Very, very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I hate golf. I really hate it. I hate I hate everything about it. I hate the rules. I hate the uh, the mindset and the uh, you know, the the kind of laws that are on you know yeah. golf clubs. Um yeah. I, I I really don't like it. You know, it's you know, a good walk spoiled is the uh, the perfect um, description for it for me. Yeah, I've only ever played a couple of times and I find the whole the, the actual physical action of the golf swing so unintuitive and peculiar that I have uh, zero fun playing golf too. Mm-hmm. But it was very, it was very good. I was catching up with some old friends in Tynemouth, um, yeah. which is a really cracking little town, uh, like a like a village on the sea seafront. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been. <clears throat> really recommend it. It's great restaurants, really good bars. Uh, really nice place. Oh, had, cool. had, a, had a cracking time. Oh, good. Um, drank far too much and uh, all that kind of stuff. But it was good to be away. It's the first time I've been away for more than a day from my daughter since she was yeah. born. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whereas when my wife is uh, is away again tonight, so um, she's working away a lot at the moment. Yeah. 
So you're working and um, being a dad and everything else, squeezing everything in. Yeah, it's been busy. um, And uh, we've only got one car. So when Jess is away, um, it means that uh, I'm... um, I'm stuck. Yeah, because I because we live in you know there's no real well there's really slow public transport around here. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm kind of stuffed. Um, but it's, it means that I've been able to get my head down and do some work. I thought I'd be quiet and I'd have had the um, my print thing at uh, the Ellie Press thing finished by now, but no yep. um, clients. Clients. Yeah, I'm not complaining actually. I've, I've <laughs> I haven't got any projects on, um, but I'm just busy every day. So um, okay, that's I'm good. Sorry, I'm dinging here all over the place. I thought um, you just had an idea. <laughs> no, God, chance would be a fine thing. <laughs> no, what else have we been doing? Um, I've uh, yeah, sorting out the ha- our house this year. So I've had estate agents all day coming round to give us valuations. Oh, they're a funny lot, aren't they? Are you thinking of moving, or is this for? Um... No, it's kind of um, uh, just for investment purposes. Mm. And uh, yeah, um, other than that, yeah, just working really. Um, I've uh, we missed National Pie Week last week. We did, didn't we? Mm. Um, shocking, really. It's bad behaviour, really, isn't it? It is. But today is National Pencil Day to make up it for is. it. Yeah, have you uh, have you sharpened your favourite pencil in um, celebration? Is that a euphemism? No, 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 no. I've got a nice uh, Palomino black one here. Ah, just, well, uh, sharpened for the for I if have, I need to make any notes. I, ha- I haven't. I've got one here. I've got the same one. Yeah, I'm going. I'm sharpening it in my uh, in your cum. Yeah. some lead in that <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know that's that's um a make of pencil sharpener k-u-m mm-hmm. ah. <sighs> right um i'll tell you what else i've been up to this week what have you uh, been up to tim fowler who's uh, uh works at rough trade records he's kind of the creative director marketing guy does everything there uh, invited me to Nicer Tuesdays latest thing. So it's a, a monthly event that um, the people from It's Nice That um, we've mentioned them before um, put on in East London when they, you know, they just have um, uh, design or arts people um, come in and talk. It's really nice. It's the, the venues, a place called The Oval Space in uh, Bethnal Green, which is a decent um, venue for this kind of thing, but God, it's a it's an awful little walk to get there. You know, you really do think, you know, have I made a will? Um, uh, yeah, it's really not that. Pleasant. Where did you Where did you walk from Liverpool Street? Uh, we or? walked from Shoreditch, right, um, via a pub for a, a nice uh, pint and a Scotch egg. Um, but the talk was good. There was uh, uh, Anthony Burrell was there um, talking about his new book, um, Make It Now. So he was good. He's just got that very kind of laid back northern charm. 
Um, nothing really new in his talk that I haven't seen on other stuff he's done. Um, but John Bergman was there as well, who I kind of know of, but and I've never really liked his work too much. He does lots of little quirky, cartoony Instagram story stuff where he takes a video and then draws weird little characters. He's got a kind of a hot dog character that crops up in lots of his work. Um, but his talk was absolutely hilarious. I mean, he's kind of got that thing absolutely nailed. He had us all in stitches. Um, and it kind of makes you warm to his work a bit more as well when you see the, the guy behind it. So that was good. Um, and then there was um, a couple of people from A Practice for Everyday Life who were talking about the Hockney catalogue for the Tate exhibition. And then um, Nelly ben Hayoun from the University of the Underground was there. Um, the University of the Underground is is this thing that they fund uh, kind of study for 15 students a year over a, a kind of a variety of creative subjects with the idea of putting people who have got kind of real good critical thinking skills into uh, institutions, government, all sorts of kind of um, perhaps slightly sort of conservative workplaces with the idea that they will disrupt, you know, and change things, um, you know, which is a kind of interesting concept. But um, Nelly Benhayoun is, is very French and spoke very, very quickly. Uh, and after the first two minutes of her uh, talk, I don't think anyone understood a word, which was a bit of a shame. Um, but it was good. It's, uh, it's quite nice to get out and do something like that. Um, and there are a couple of other people there I know, so I um, bumped into an old friend I used to work with as well. So, it was, yeah, it was good. Good fun. Cool. So I'll have to look out and see <clears throat> what else they're um, putting on. I, I didn't know they were bit. British. I thought that it was an American thing. Um, no, they're based in um, Shoreditch, just around the corner from where I used to work. I think they've moved now. They used to be on Bateman's Row. Um yeah. So what are they? Are they an organ? Do they are they actually an office or are they a design studio or what? I think they do lots of things. I mean, I you know uh, just kind of came to know them as you know curators of kind of web stuff. Um, but it doesn't really. What else do they do? No, I don't really know. I guess they write a lot about design, um, but I, I, I'm not entirely sure what they do. It's nice that I believe passionately that creative inspiration is for everyone and by championing the most exciting engaging work online in print and through our events program we want to open this world up to the widest possible audience there you go so they're part of another big group called the Hudson Beck group okay so curating writing um, yeah, there you go so I'm going to look out for for more nice Tuesday stuff and if uh, if it's a really really good um, person giving a talk then I will brave the wilds of uh, Bethnal Green once more. <laughs> Tim, we were, we were queuing to get in, uh, and uh, he said to me, "What time are we leaving?" And I said, "Please let it be still light when we leave." It was um, that grim round there. Really? What in Bethnal Green? Yeah, it's just this little bit of Bethnal Green. You know, Bethnal Green's got its lovely bits, but you kind of—it's like a little industrial estate next to some gas holders, right? Uh, yeah, not very salubrious. 
But there you go. So yeah, that's pretty much what I've been up to, I think. <clears throat> the other thing I've been doing is looking at a pair of great tits out the window. Well, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your neighbour's not got their nets up yet. I love no. I love a bit of. Sp- I love the spring. No, we've got uh, we've got some nesting birds in our bird feed uh, bird box. Lovely. But I just wanted to say that line because it made me laugh. Yes, we had some great tits in our nest box last year, and sadly, a uh, uh, cat got them all. It was yeah. five chicks, and a cat managed to leap from uh, the fence onto the bird box. Really? So that's quite sad. Yeah. This week I've been watching the two wood pigeons in the tree outside my. Um, oh, are they back again for more this, yeah. uh, live sex lines? Yes, I think uh, I think whatever they've been doing has worked because they've moved from the branch now, and they're um, I think they're starting to nest. Right. So good for them. Congratulations. Things will move on, won't it? Yeah. <laughs> so we're hitting the new series see, we're calling are we, we are we calling this a series or season or just a really season, long break season let's go let's go american let's call it a season so we've had a uh, uh did we end on a cliffhanger did we leave it on a cliffhanger in what in what sense well i don't know you know if we're going for that kind of american season oh, yeah you should leave it on a cliffhanger shouldn't maybe you? we should leave every every uh, episode on a cliffhanger or will we survive the pie we've eaten? <laughs> we, well, I'm hoping so tonight. They look good tonight. We were really scraping the barrel at the end of last season, weren't we? Yeah, there were some dodgy ones. Serious you know. season. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Um, so this, uh, have, you, have you got any thoughts about plans um, for the future? You got back from holiday, fresh-faced, um, ready to face the world. How's it, how's, it, how's it going? Well, my promise was that I'd come back and I would have written the first draft of my children's book. Oh, yeah. How did that go? Didn't write a word. <laughs> Not a word. I did do some drawing while I was over there, but no, I didn't write anything. Um, my excuse being that it was too hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so that's still um, to be done. Uh, in terms of plans, I think it's going to be more of the same, uh, a mix of freelancing at people's offices and getting my own stuff done. Um, really looking forward to us, you know, both getting the time to sort out the print thing so I can sell them and you can kind of get that side of your business off the ground. Um, but no, there's nothing, uh, I'm, I'm anticipating no, uh, major changes. There's going to be no paradigm shifts in, uh, in the way I work and live. I don't think. Okay. You? Um, no, I haven't got any. No, I, I've, um, I'm quite pleased with the way work's coming in like you know the tide i mean it is relentless but it's um it's good i i I like it repeat business is the best i don't really have to work that hard for it (laughs) which sounds terrible doesn't it but uh at this stage in my life i don't really want to be um working too hard um and uh yeah i'm very excited about the printing thing i'm getting more excited by it um i bought some oh uh field notes have just released that um reporters um edition that you gave to me the limited edition oh, they've released it as a pro they're going to make it forever as a proper oh, okay. product so i've ordered four already um yeah. and they uh are very good. yeah they're they're if, if anyone's looking for a notebook just go look look at their reporter flip book it is perfect for note taking uh for you know if you you just got it beside you by the keyboard and you just if you're a list maker like i am I just I thought it was a you know great paper just perfect format um doesn't shut 
And uh, but get, I went through their process of buying. I've never bought anything from them directly. Yeah. They've got it so nailed. Uh, just the 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 weight of the the language, the tone, um, to the graphics that they send through. Like the emails come through as a little, they look like a little notepad, but it's done in HTML, yep. so it looks kind of techy. And then I looked at their, um, I was looking to see what their shop was running on because I'm geeky like that. <laughs> uh, and uh, and even the uh, <clears throat> even the um, uh, the header of their of their web page has got little ASCII notepads in it yeah it's just that you know that attention to detail just pleases yeah, I, me i mean that's it that's that's the reason that's one of the reasons i bought into field notes just because they everything they do is is so well done and just reflects everything about their brand doesn't it yeah just, like you say they've nailed it <clears throat> interestingly they they have a an advertising network called the deck um which you probably okay. see on lots of indie blogs and right. uh, sites where they just have one tiny little ad on 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 web pages um and they're closing it down they announced yeah. yesterday i think uh because they're basically the uh, the ad revenue stream has completely vanished the indie blogging whole industries on on the downturn um things are becoming very um siloed so media organizations uh, as you see you know you go on to like any kind of newspaper it's absolutely chock full of advertising it's almost impossible to read um whatever they whatever they're showing so um that's that's the future of that's where all the advertising is in those kind of uh 10 you know 10 things you never knew celebrities had done um, that that is generating all the money for the ad streams, which is incredible, crazy, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah, it is just crazy. It has nothing. Is there's no content to it whatsoever? I wonder if that is just a fad. Are people just going to wise up to it? Because obviously I don't people think do so. do click on it because it, you know, it's uh, it's framed in this way that it looks like sort of salaciousy, gossipy news, isn't it? I don't think so. I think people like crap food, crap drink, crap products, and they like consuming crap. Uh, yeah. In general, um, you know, the person who wants to read a uh, an article about I don't know the uh, the history of the internet or uh, a science an in depth science document will not be browsing on a high advertising or high revenue mm. um, websites, will they? Um, so it just you know, I just think they're going to disappear from from view. Not that they won't be still running and there will still be niche podcasts that talk about, but not about design. Um, but it's just <laughs> that they won't generate any money. Uh, yeah. You know, like the the podcast kind of sponsorship thing, when you listen to them, you think, well, really? How how are they making any money from that? I think, you know, that will go away very quickly. Yeah. And we'll return <clears throat> to more of a sort of, uh, you know, cut and paste kind of punk ethos of podcasting that, how it how it's started hopefully and i hope I they never we, make we, any money from it i think we'll always be able to rely on sponsorship from the pastry industry <laughs> definitely so yeah no yeah. so i'm pretty happy with um with how things are going uh, i've got no n- yeah no complaints no complaints um what Good. about what about uh entertainment well you, you've said you've read a load of books um i did so i uh i took a few books on holiday with me yeah, you, um, list, you listed them in the last episode, didn't you? I did, so I didn't did read them all. Um, mostly because Dune and Wolf Hall are quite chunky. Uh, so Dune, first time I've read Dune, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. The the thing that surprised me was how close the kind of derided uh, David Lynch film, Dune, is to the books. 
it's really really quite close um both in kind of its style and you know the characterization i thought they nailed it pretty well actually um i mean maybe that is just you know kind of colored by the fact that i saw the film first but um i thought um i thought the book was brilliant i loved the f- i loved the film as a kid i really liked the film yeah, yeah. and i lo- and i haven't I- watched it recently no um I because I, I, I read the book and then very quickly saw the film, so I mm. can't can't remember what age I was, but I was way too young to be reading Dune. I don't think I got a lot of it, but um, the, it's one of those problematic films that it stops kind of just abruptly in the yes, in the term was, of the story. They were going to make another one, weren't they? <clears throat> yeah, and it's it's like the Ralph Bashkey's um, Lord <laughs> of the Rings, of the Ring. yeah. and, which got slated because it can't carry the story all the way through. But mm. there's something. I, I love that kind of it just stops and that's it. And, you know, they never made a new one. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's someone somewhere has written a, a Dune sequel or a Dune re- remake. Well, well, he wrote lots of sequels and his, then his son wrote some sequels. Oh, um, and there is a remake on the cards. Right. Um, directed by Dennis Villeneuve, who's just directed Arrival. Um, and he's currently putting the finishing touches to the Blade Runner remake. Uh, Blade Runner sequel. Okay. So it's got good, you know, apparently it's the film he's always wanted to make, June. So, um, and Arrival. Have you seen Arrival? No. I thought it was very, very good. Um, a little bit like uh, a Terrence Malick sci-fi film. <laughs> okay. Um, quite, you know, very slowly paced, um, quite uh, um, intellectual. But um, very, very good. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I look forward to see what he does with the new Blade Runner film that's coming out in a couple of months and um, and see what he does with June. Mm. Um, and the other f- couple of books that I really loved. So I loved Wolf Hall, which I just thought was an absolute masterpiece. I love it. It's just remarkable. Um, and then Into Everywhere, which is a book by Paul McCauley. Um and he's written a series of short stories and a, f- a couple of books um, based on this uh, this premise. I think he calls them the Jackaroo stories. And it, science fiction and the Jackaroo are an alien race that um, make contact with Earth and bestow the means of getting to 15 planets. Um, they kind of gift these planets to Earth and say, here you go. This is how you get to them, become a multi-planet civilization. Um, and then on these planets, there are the remnants of previous civilizations um, and these kind of weird artifacts and things. Um, and it's fascinating stuff and really good, uh, really good story, kind of part detective, part thrillery, but really good sci-fi. So I really like his stuff. And the Jackaroo series in particular are great. Um, and I also read Europe in Autumn, which is, I can't remember who it's by now. Um, you've read it, haven't you? Yeah. Um, and I really didn't like it at all. Yeah. Um, I think that's partly because I was expecting, um, I was expecting it to be a sci-fi book, uh, by Dave Hutchinson. Um, and it's not really sci-fi. Well, certainly the first two thirds of the book, there's nothing, which is as far as I got. 
there's nothing sci-fi about it. It's kind of near future, slightly dystopian, but it's kind of dystopian in sort of a weirdly political, economic way rather than a particularly exciting way. Um, yeah, and it, it didn't grab me at all, which is a shame because I bought the entire trilogy. <laughs> I don't think I'll read them. Well, I, I, I enjoyed it for the sense of that it was like the city in the city in terms of sci-fi and the fact that it was just a little bit in front of where we are yeah. now. Yeah. Um, but it seemed to me the book was in three parts and it seemed like it had been started and then stopped and then started. And then, mm. you know, so the, the it was very broken um, and there were some real flights of fancy and narrative. But I quite like the concept of uh, the, ma- the main concept of it is that um, a, uh, a railway is built from uh, southern Spain all the way through to you know the, uh, the eastern European countries, um, and it, as soon as it's built, it declares itself an independent state. So that yeah. in 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 this Europe that has broken up, so it's quite um, telling, really. But in, in this Europe that has broken up and become lots of different city states, there's this one thread running through it, which is this kind of secure railway line that is its own nation. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great premise. Yeah, but he just sort of skirts around it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I, I would, yeah, I, I gave it, I think, three out of five. And, you know, yeah. my, my my three out of fives are um, nice. quite high. It's uh, pretty good. Uh, that's kind so, of like six out of ten. <laughs> so, <laughs> cheers. Uh, so, um, Paul McCauley that you're talking about, I yes. started reading his Quiet War based yes. on your recommendation. Right. Um, I haven't. I, I only downloaded the. Uh, you can get you get samples on Kindle. Mm. I know you don't like the Kindle, but I like to read sci-fi on Kindle because it makes me feel futuristic <laughs> <laughs> while eating blue food. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I. Yeah, it's really not how I thought it would be. It's very uh, very sci-fi. Yeah, it's uh, he's so uh, he's a hard sci-fi. Yeah, but the writing so. is very very uh, thriller like. It's not yes. uh it's not soft or um it doesn't have any fantasy edge to it. Um no, it's, it's just r- really simple sentences and yeah. not very flowery at all. Yeah. Uh yeah, I've enjoyed it so far. Yeah, good. Though well that's the f- the first of a trilogy. Right. Um quite well. Which uh I think it ends up like 11,000 years in the future. The, oh, last, the last one. Um but it's yeah, really good stuff. I won't get attached like, to the like characters the then. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, and uh, and televisually, what have you been watching? Uh, I oh, I, I should the, I should sorry oh, I should say yes. what I've been reading, shouldn't I? Really? Yes, you should. uh, well, I, I've I've still reading Quicksilver. I've kind of given up on it again. Um, okay. And uh, I've been reading a few detective books that were recommended to me by um, my mate Chris, who lives in Newcastle, who's an English. Uh, professor, I'd say, mm-hmm. call him. Um, and I've been reading um based on the program that I watched. I think I mentioned it last time. A sort of life of Terry Pratchett, which was on BBC, yes. which is brilliant program. Um, Neil Gaiman was on it, getting very upset, which was very sad yeah. to watch. Um, he said that his favourite book by Terry Pratchett was called Night Watch. So I've started reading that, and he said it's you know it's and it is roundly called his most serious book. And it's absolutely brilliant. Um, okay. I'm not a ma- you know I I like Terry. You know I'd read it on holiday or whatever. 
But this one is really quite sci-fi in the fact that it's um, he's he's pitched into the past by an accident. He's a, a copper and he ends up um, training his youthful self while just, you know, <laughs> while, while um, he's basically the senior captain um, and he has to train himself to avoid the future that his future self was involved in. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and at the same time, he's got a kind of Moriarty character in the same time zone as him, who knows that he's trying to uh-huh. do these things. And it's just really, really clever story and yeah, really good. well written. So, uh, yeah, I will, uh, I will, uh, I will recommend that to you. It might in- yeah. be an introduction to a book that you could read by Terry Pratchett. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Um, and watching wise, yeah, sorry, I've been watching. Um, I started watching Hannibal. Uh, the TV okay. series. Have you watched any of that? I haven't. It's very, um, it's very serious. Uh, yeah. Um, but I love, I love a bit of Hannibal Lecter. I can't, I can't, you know. He uh, is a cracking character. Isn't yeah. He? And this really delves into his early, it's basically before he um, is discovered as a serial killer and he's working with the FBI with mm. Will, Will Graham from Red Dragon, which is probably the best book um, yeah. of the Thomas Harris, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've enjoyed them. Um, I've also, I've, I've eaten my way through very quickly Happy Valley, which was um, a BBC oh, okay. detective yeah. series, which was just brilliant. Um, again, recommended by my mate, Chris. Um, I missed it. Didn't even think about watching it. It is fabulous. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix and it's absolutely brilliant bit of mm. British drama that doesn't over egg, you know, mumbling dialogue and yeah. moody visuals. It's just really, really good. Oh, cool. What have you been doing? <clears throat> I watched um, Iron Fist, which is the latest of the Netflix Marvel Defenders series. Um, you know, Daredevil, um, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, and then Iron Fist. And it was by far the weakest of the four. It really wasn't very good at all. Right. Um, and I've also just watched, well, I think I've watched most of the episodes of Abstract, which is another Netflix documentary series about design, different bits of design. Yeah, we mentioned um, it. We mentioned it uh, in the podcast, didn't we, um, when it was announced? I, yes, I, we did. Uh, <clears throat> I've watched you part watch of me? the first one and I'm really, really enjoying it, but I just yeah, haven't had any I time. It was brilliant. What's so that was chap's the, name? Uh, Christopher Neiman. Oh, what, what an amazing person. Yeah. I've watched that. That was fantastic. I watched the uh, Paula Cher one. Right. Um, and I wasn't a fan of Paula Cher's work, but actually when you see her talking about her work, um, it makes more sense. Uh, and that was that was great. And the uh, Bialki Inglis, I think, the Danish architect, that was a great one as well. Okay. Um, he's, uh, I think he's only 42, but he's already designing, you know, <laughs> incredible uh, kind of world-renowned um, statement architecture pieces in New York and all around the world. Oh, did I tell um, you I, I designed some infographics today? <coughs> did you? <laughs> That's it. There you go. That's all I am. Oh, God. <laughs> Help me. Um, the other one that I watched, <laughs> I'm glossing over that, uh, was uh, Platon, the photographer. Right. Who I didn't, I didn't know by name. No. Um, but, I, you know, I recognised masses of his work. But it starts off like Spinal Tap in that it is the most – you couldn't have written 
kind of more of a parody of a pretentious arty portrait photographer if you tried. Like the first 10 minutes, I honestly wondered if he was serious or if he was even real and he might have been an actor pretending to be a photographer because it, it's just astonishing how pretentious he comes across. Um, but again, kind of when you get into his his work and you see some of the stuff he's done, and he comes across as a bit more human. Um, and his work is beautiful. Um, yeah, so that's that's a, an interesting one to watch. I think there's a couple, a couple left I haven't seen. It's great, really to, see, it's great to see people making, doc, you know, uh, sort of high-budget documentaries about design. Absolutely. It's brilliant. I mean, they're beautifully put together. They are. And I, I liked, I mean, I haven't, I've only watched uh, halfway through the first one, but I like the way that the whole filmmaking is exposed. Yes. Um, so that you see a lot of the, uh, the the conversations between the director or the cameraman and the actual um, subject. Yeah. So the Christopher Newman one's like that. And the, the Bjarke Inglis one is, is like that as well. But he's involved in his own animations and everything, isn't yes. he? So, yeah, yeah it's, just, it's really, really nice to see design being treated mm. with uh, with sort of mainstream polish, as it were, um, without having to do it itself. Does that sound, you know, do you know what I mean? So that actually, Absolutely. you know, somebody could, anybody could come along and watch it and not yeah. feel like it's some kind of arty-farty pretentious nonsense, yeah, which it much. really probably is. It's a bit like that, B, that BBC um, uh, What Do Artists Do All Day series it was similar, wasn't yes. it? Fantastic. Mm. Um, are just you know just endlessly watchable. <clears throat> it's nice also to see a program on design that isn't just about product design because that seems to be the yeah. the one that always gets you know commissioned for. Yeah, TV. weirdly, it's the one I'm least interested. In. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I couldn't care less about you know the next kettle. <sighs> yeah, that's good. It's been some good good stuff to watch, good stuff to read. Uh, I still need to get to the cinema. I want to watch Logan, and I quite fancy seeing Kong for a bit of, um, you know, mindless entertainment. Okay, I can't remember the last time uh, I went to the cinema. Well, I can actually. No, I, I think I've mentioned it on this. I think it was the original Hobbit, the first Hobbit. That's the last oh, yeah. time I went to the cinema. <laughs> was it an unexpected journey? Hey. Um, yeah, I don't get to the cinema very often. Once, once, twice a year at most. Yes. Um, have you seen anything in the news since uh, since our last our last outing, John? That you want to talk about? Well, I was in in a terrible rush uh, trying to because I uh, uh, about an hour ago. Hang I was, on, John. You've had five weeks. I know. I was. I, I've got. <laughs> I sort of had a, like a large um, amount of news items that I'd noted about five weeks ago and then nothing till today <laughs> so uh, i've been trying to sort of resort it out but uh, i was saying uh, an hour ago i was sitting in the um in the bathroom with my daughter with post-it notes all over my face so um that's the kind of that's the pinnacle of my uh, intellectual kind of thought process at the moment i'll start because i saw something a, a few weeks ago now that is kind of um relevant to us which is an article in the new york times Entitled, so, um, how do you, like, stop using filler words? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's quite interesting. Uh, communica- communication experts describe, um, are, uh, and similar expressions as discourse markers, interjections, or verbal pauses. Um, 
And it's, there's some interesting stuff in this article about, you know, does it make you sound stupid? Does everyone do it? Um, and most importantly, how do you stop it? And apparently awareness is the first the first thing that you, you need to conquer. So they suggest listening to yourself regularly, um, at least five minutes a day for a couple of weeks. Um, so I, um, um, uh, mm. so we've kind of got that bit nailed, the um, awareness. And then apparently it's about pausing, taking a deep breath and collecting your thoughts and carrying on with your sentence <laughs> and that's the only advice they give they do say uh no one's come up with an app yet that would shock you whenever it hears you say like or um um it does suggest you could hire a friend to punch you whenever it happens but it's quite a fun little article i think i do it less than i did when we started although as i was reading and talking about that article, I noticed myself doing it an incredible amount. So perhaps I'm not as aware as I thought I was. <laughs> I delete, I know the shape of the sound wave for a lot of us. Do you? And I find them and cut them out. Did you do, really? Yes. Are you, are you making that up? No, I do. You delete it by looking at the sound waves? Yeah, I know the shape of it. So I can see it in the sound wave as I'm editing the show. <laughs> I think wow. most, most podcasts would do that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I have no idea. I, do we um, both have the same sound waves? For... A similar shape. Ah. But you True. do a, I click before I speak, which I get rid of. Okay. And you uh, s- suck in your breath. I which do. I can see as a peak again on the sound wave. Yeah. Yeah. So I, when I see them, I try and leave most of them in because it's. I like the natural sound of it. But yes, you're right. I am trying to do it, but my problem is that my brain races and I'm three sentences ahead when I'm talking. I'm kind of bored already by what I'm talking about and thinking about what I'm doing. So uh, if you're bored with what you're saying, does that mean you get bored with what I'm saying as well? I'm not even listening to that, Rob. Oh, what, what, what are you talking about? Never mind. No. Um. I, yeah, see, I did it. Um, it's something they talk about in cognitive behavioral therapy, um, yeah. which is, oh, there you go, I've just earned. Is that a real thing? Yes. Okay. CBT. I mean, I know it exists, but is it like homeopathy? <laughs> well, they're starting to teach it in schools. Okay. Well, they teach religion in schools, Jill. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> they'll be teaching science next <laughs> or, or French something that would be useless to all future British children absolutely languages yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you'd be better off turning us all into hunter gatherers again well that, that was a nice segue there because my first story and I was talking about reviving a bag of old bones like this show uh, the woolly mammoth is on the verge of resurrection I love so this they say. Idea. I think it's fun. I mean, it's Jurassic Park, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They've 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 got cells working that belong to the mammoth. They're not calling it a woolly mammoth at the moment, um, and they haven't taken it any further than the cell stage. But it's yeah. they're calling it a mammophant. A mammophant. Yeah. Okay. So they're going to use uh, I, the the plan eventually is to use an Asian elephant 
as both a surrogate and uh, the basis of the embryo, aren't they? And why, the, why aren't they going to use a young one? Um, and then they'll splice together the DNA that they um, they find in these remains in the Siberian tundra aren't they yeah when we were in um, we were away this weekend we were watching late one night Jurassic Park because it was on the telly uh, and I watched it from the beginning to about halfway through and this just reminds me of the beginning of that with um, absolutely uh, Richard Attenborough isn't it yeah with his terrible Scottish accent. Have you read the book? No. The book's great. Is it? Michael Crichton. Yeah. Yeah, really good book. All right. He, he, I didn't realise he wrote ER. Yes. He did indeed. Hmm. So, yeah, the mammoths are back. Good. Where are they going to release them when they make them? <laughs> I don't know. Back into the Siberian tundra? Yeah. Okay. They, um, um they, the, the weird, uh, well, how do you, I mean, th- there's a, there's a funny moral thing about this, isn't there? Where, where once you start bringing back or, you know, bringing back extinct animals, where do you stop? Um, and you are in the kind of Blade Runner kind of, yeah. uh, debate, which I think Philip K. Dick is talking about in that, in that book, isn't he? Where they've, you know, humanity's wiped everything out. It then starts rebuilding it back again. It builds itself as a kind of godlike essence and then starts wiping that out as well even yeah. before it's had any right to live. Um, mm. and I think that would we be in the same situation where we can turn on and off life as we want, not rather than nature decreeing when something should be extinct and it should be extinct. Well, I guess one of the things is that it's not nature decreeing when things go extinct, is it? It's, uh, it's man's effect on the environment. Boom. Over hunting mm. or overfishing. Are we going to get in a nature nurture thing here? I don't know, maybe. I mean, I think as long as we only revive things that we'd wiped out. <laughs> that's, really? That's fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, if we broke it, we can fix it. We shouldn't uh, try and revive any dinosaurs. Well, they no. were only they were they were still wandering around five hundred years ago, according to um, the American government. Of course, <clears throat> yeah. So maybe we should. Or people who are running it. We have to release them in Washington. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> my next thing that uh, happened while we were away <clears throat> was um, Bernie Wrightson died. Um. Bernie Wrightson is a, a comic art god, really. He wasn't perhaps well known outside of the the community, but his work is astonishingly influential. And when he died, you know, the kind of Twitter was awash with the the great and the good of the comic industry, and the real kind of heartfelt outpouring of of loss because his work was just so influential. Um, and I came across a nice little article, um, about him in the LA times. <clears throat> and it kind of talks about his love of, of, uh, kind of horror and ghoulishness. Um, and it, it, it dwells, um, a little on, he did an illustrated version of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein in 1983 um, and the work in that is jaw-dropping. And when I was about 
12 years old, I got this book called The Guide to Fantasy Art Techniques. And Bernie Wrightson was one of the six artists featured in that. And it, it mainly featured his work for Frankenstein. I think when I saw that, I was crushed as an aspiring, uh, well, not an aspiring artist, someone who liked to draw, because I thought there is no way if I live to be 200, I'd ever be a tenth as good as Bernie Wrightson. It, there's, uh, if you click that link and scroll down kind of to near the bottom, there's um, a picture from the Frankenstein book of Frankenstein's laboratory. And it's just astonishing. Breathtaking work. I mean, this is, it's, you won't see better drawing, I don't think, anywhere, ever. It's just remarkable. Um, so it's really sad that he's gone. Um, and I think it's one of those situations as well where it's it's a little bit sad that you only see that kind of outpouring of love for someone's work after they've gone. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I'd never heard of him, um, but I recognise his style in other artists. Yeah, he created Swamp Thing. Right, yeah, because it's that kind of stretchy, I don't know, like plasma sort of texture that, um, yeah. uh, who is it, Brian Talbot uses as well, doesn't yes. he? Yes, yes, that kind of sinewy yeah. stuff. Um, but that uh, black and white drawing of the Frankenstein is absolutely astonishing. And it, it's kind of um, like the uh, <clears throat> sort of a very um, perfected style that the fa- fighting fantasy books mm. used, um, Gary Chalk or... Uh, I'm trying to remember his name. Your mate. Russ. Russ Nicholson. Russ Nicholson who tweeted yeah. you. He did. He wished me happy birthday, actually. Fantastic. <laughs> You're famous Yes. Uh, I've, I've actually got a copy of um, Bernie Wrightson's Frankenstein on order from Amazon. Ah, right. I... Although it has been for many months. So who knows when it will arrive. <laughs> it's obviously out of print. <clears throat> uh, what else you've got? have you got for us? Well, mine's a sort of a kind of discourse about something we might want to talk about uh, in the future um, and come back to look at. Um, it's a, There's a website called The Book of Life. I think I've mentioned it before with a product, which was a timer, a um, 15 minute timer that's in yellow. Yes. Um, I think it's Alain de Bouton's original kind of thing. It's The Book of Life is um, it's kind of a philosophical uh, program that has events, books, products that kind of make you think about your life and, um, and where, where you're going. Um, and it's kind of a humanist approach to, uh, to, I don't know, life management. I don't know what you call okay. it. Yeah. Um, anyway, they have really great, uh, articles. Um, and this one was really interesting. It was about, um, uh, why modern work is so boring and it kind of explores the ideas around uh, mass production and why that created experts and now we have you know ux designer for whatever um, mm. and really really very narrow fields of work and um, it kind of it, it kind of makes a theory into why are we so unsatisfied with our with the work we're doing today um why are we always trying to change it? Why are we always trying to find something else? And designers are, are very guilty of this, aren't they? A lot of people, you know, restlessness of, of wanting to do something different. Yeah. And it kind of, it takes it all the way back to, um, 
you know, to the industrial revolution, um, back to Adam Smith talking about, um, you know, division of labor. Um, so it's a really, really interesting article, um, on an interesting website. Um, and it sort of takes me on to talking, uh, a, a guy called Jeremy Keith, who is, I don't know if he's a designer or whatever, he's well known in the web community. He works for a company called ClearSpace, and they mm-hmm. uh, are well known for producing very um, human-led uh, research-based design. Um, a lot of their guys went off to uh, guys and girls went off to uh, form GDS, the Government Design Service. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and uh, well, I think one of them ended up at the co-op rebrand, didn't they? That we were talking mm. about. Um, or taking the kudos for it anyway. So the, uh, um, but he has produced a, a website called resilientwebdesign.com, which is in a format of a printed book. Um, I have to say right off the bat, I think he's got the type size way too big and he needs to read it down a bit. It's a bit hard to read on a, on a large screen, but I imagine on a small tablet, it's nice. Um, and it's talking about the, um, the process of design. Um, and at the other end of that, conversation is uh i got creative review through the post yesterday and they're talking about the their their fear of this of this uh process led design that it's crushing creativity out of the design industry that everybody's going to the same (coughs) pinterest boards or you know Mm. found was you know one of one of those ones and everybody's ending up producing the same looking work um especially in the web um, following uh, Basecamp templates and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Everything looks the same. And theirs is a cry for more creativity in teaching and more creativity from designers and that they need to take responsibility for it. And his is the opposite end of that, uh, which talks about the research and the uh, and the education behind design. And it's just a really interesting kind of... Uh, gamut of the design world i mean i kind of sit somewhere in between it all um but i do see both sides of the of the story um i I just think it's something that we could come back to and talk about yeah it's almost kind of like a the the difference between craft and art isn't it as well yeah you know yeah yeah i like that as a a topic talking you know a lot of design starts with an idea or a concept or, you know, a basic, uh, single, um, single word that, or, or, or phrase that, that, that forms the entire, um, the entire campaign that you're working on. Um, but design process, the kind of like the process led kind of thing is all about voting and, um, and sort of, um, looking at data and does mm. that ever create, new things um or does it just keep regurgitating the same well, old you, thing i mean i don't kind of know how this um process-led stuff works exactly but i mean it's not um doing away with creativity completely is it i mean it, it can't following a process can't create a website it can tell you you know how to go about getting the best out of the information that you've got and you know targeting things correctly can't it but it can't it can't tell you how things should look can it well yeah because if you're if you're doing multiple tests on a say a button um are you if you wanted to hide mm. the button away for some kind of reason um yeah. but the data came back this is an extreme reason but the data came back saying no it should be slap bang in the middle uh, an example would be the 
pop-up windows that are now sort of proliferating through websites where you go onto a sales website and you get a um, a sign up to our mailing list kind of modal screen over the top of everything. Um, Yes. Do you know the ones I'm talking about? I do. Uh, Especially retail. And, um, you know, data has told the site owners that that's a great thing, but actually, you know, and, and yes, it may increase their newsletter, but it's really, really annoying and really dumb and really stupid. Um, and um, that's where, you know, data drives behavior that isn't isn't a good thing. You know, it's it's getting back to what we were talking about earlier, where all the advertising revenue is now in dumb websites that people are looking at for no particular reason whatsoever. Um, mm. There's no purpose to it being there. It's just data telling them that that's where the money is. <clears throat> and that that's the danger, isn't it? And I think that's what Creative yeah. Review, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of their editor, Patrick Burgoyne. Is it? Yeah. He's talking about in his uh, in his editorial article. And then a lot of the articles in it are talking about new ways of teaching uh, creativity to designers. I haven't read the edition yet, but it, look, sure, it looks like an interesting debate to, yeah. to be one getting the, involved in. One of the things Anthony Burrell said uh, on his uh, little talk at, Nice Tuesday was you can't teach creativity. Stop yeah. trying. <laughs> so, yeah, it's an interesting point. Yeah, but I think you can teach people to let go of the wheel and and you know uh, yeah um, learn the uh, yeah it's it's really tricky, isn't it? I mean, it you've is. either got really creative people or you haven't. <laughs> yeah, can you, you you can you teach it? No, you can. Can you teach someone to draw? You know, these are all kind of things that we've we need to we need to explore. Yeah, you could teach me to draw, and over the course of a year, you you can draw. Oh. I like your stuff. <laughs> well, talking of somebody I shamelessly ape, um, the, the, I've been playing a game recently with my daughter on iPad, and it's on uh, it's on iOS. Um, it's called uh, Hidden Folks, and it's absolutely fantastic. I can't. This looks great. Uh, it's a. Um, it's like where I think where's Wally on acid is what I wrote. Uh, it's it's very very minimalist. Uh, it's basically hand drawn little tiny pictures of people on a kind of isomet- axiometric I'd say isometric uh, grid. Yeah. Um, and there you've got to basically scroll through these incredibly complex maps and find um, little you know, people or bones or just like you would in Where's Wally or Where's Waldo, I think it's called in, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the States. Um, and the artist who's done these drawings, all these drawings are hand done and scanned in. Um, it's That's called not, S- Sylvain, Sylvain Tegrug. I'm doing him a disservice there. He's French. He lives in Amsterdam, I think. Um, and his website, Tegrog, T-E-G-R-O-E-G.com is absolutely fabulous. I think he trained as an architect or a product designer and that shines through in his work because he can yeah. just draw three-dimensional objects just brilliantly and he's his he draws um buildings and all sorts of things i think he's got a really good career in front of him um yeah but the game is fab yeah it's that, good uh, stuff and it's only a couple of quid yeah um on a very similar note there's um creativelifeshow.com um which is one of these websites that talks about the kind of business of creativity and um, yeah, I, th- I think it's run by someone who, who acts as a mentor to creative people or, you know, helps businesses get stuff out of their 
um, employees and things like that. But um, it also runs a podcast. Um, and they featured Musa Lane, who's an artist we've mentioned before, who's a you know big star on Twitter. <clears throat> yeah, he reminds and, me of that Sylvain yeah, guy. Absolutely. And uh, Musa Lane trained as an architect as well. Ah, right. And that really shows through in both of their work that, you know, that kind of 3D, isometric, axonometric way of drawing uh, an entire kind of cityscape. Um, it just really shines through, doesn't it? Um, yeah, and they yeah. both populate them with with kind of curious little characters as well. Um, it's a really good podcast. Um, oh, right. Interviewing Moose about how he works and <clears throat> how social media, and particularly Twitter, has has become quite an important part of how he not just how he sells his work, but kind of how he actually works. Because a lot of his stuff is about wordplay and. A lot of his ideas come through his interactions with people on Twitter. Um, yes, it's well worth listening to. <clears throat> CreativeLifeShow.com. Okay, I'll give that a go. Is it is it a British mm. show? It is, yeah. Um, not that there's anything wrong with any other shows. I just, no. There, there aren't that many design shows that are British. No, it's, there's just one, isn't there? <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's that? not about, it's a, kind of about, but not about design. <laughs> Tidding. Um, I'm going to, I, I always end my news. I, we should move. We've, we've gone over an hour already. We've got a lot to talk about, but, um, my brother-in-law to be Daryl, mm-hmm. otherwise known as Steamstock, He's a DJ. Apparently right. the, um, uh, he, uh, told me about city of thieves fighting fantasy book that uh-huh. is on Indiegogo at the moment. Um, and it's been championed by Ian Livingston, no less. And right. City of Thieves was the book that I he gave me and signed, um, but I uh, cannot find it. I'm very excited about it. But a lady in Portugal, a designer, has recreated the book, but with the most amazing detail where everything's like there's fold out and pop out oh, and yeah. all sorts of things like that. It's part, there's a hardbound version of it. It's 95 quid, though, I think. Ooh. Yeah. Because it's ham, handmade. Jeez. Well, it'd be hand-assembled, won't it? Yeah. But he's backed it. Um, it just looks like the most incredible project <laughs> ever. Yeah. Because he, he saw it. He saw she'd made it in Portuguese, and he said, this would look great in English. And, and a year later, she came back with a with the version in English. Oh, wow. It's quite impressive, isn't it? Yeah, pretty impressive. <clears throat> um, he's got a new... Um He's doing a, a new book for yeah. Fighting Fantasy, isn't he? 35 years it will be. Yeah. What's did we mention that last time? I no, think I we did. Is it Port of Port of Pain or something? Is it? I think it's called. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah, because if you're looking for Port other... Port of ga- Peril. Ooh. If you're looking for other um, uh, great Fighting Fantasy style games, then the Sorcery 4 is out now for the... Okay. Um, which is um, I haven't played yet, but Daryl was raving about it. I'd, I'd recommended the sorcery games to him, and he yeah. absolutely loved them. I've only played the first two. There's um, on the similar theme. Warlock of Firetop Mountain has got an iOS game yeah. version, um, which isn't. Um, it's not an ebook version of the Choose Your Own Adventure style. It's a reimagining of Warlock of Firetop Mountain as a as a computer game. Yeah. Um, and I've only played it for 10 minutes and I thought it was awful. <laughs> <clears throat> Although it was really clunky way of um, the, the kind of fights seemed mm. really clunky. I'll give it another go. But um, mm. yeah, my first impression wasn't that ah. um, impressed. I was going to say, should we, should we hurtle towards website of the week? I think so. 
Um, I have got The Last Stand, which is a series of photographs by Mark Wilson. So if you go to Mark with a C, markwilson.co.uk, um, and in his portfolio he's got this this series of photographs called The Last Stand. And they're photographs of British wartime defences. Um, I think they're particularly, you know, World War One and Two. Uh, and they're beautiful photographs. I mean, I'm fascinated by these things, as I know you are, partly for kind of for the historical thing, but partly because they often look so out of context now because there's nothing else to tie them to that time. You know, there's the you know concrete pillbox on a hillside or, a, you know, great concrete blocks on a beach or something as anti-tank defences. And he's really captured that kind of slightly otherworldliness in his photographs of them. Um, These are brilliant. And, you know, you look at them and they're really really odd-looking things and the kind of decaying pillboxes and things sinking into the sand and just remnants of things on beaches. And it's, yeah, stunning photography and a really fascinating subject. So have a look at markwilson.co.uk, Mark with a C. Really, his last the last stand. Brilliant website. Well, yeah. well, well found. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I'm going to spend some time looking through all mm. that. <clears throat> um, mine is a. Uh, it's not really a website. It's. I, I was listening to um, No Such Thing as a Fish, which is QI people's kind of which pod, I still haven't podcast. listened to. <clears throat> it's good fun. Half an hour of silliness. Uh, but they mentioned a thing called um, the Pessimist Archive, which pricked my ears um it's uh it's a um a podcast and a twitter account that highlights technophobia alarmism and puritanism puritanism of the past um and uh it's it's, a, it's quite refreshing to see that we uh, we panic madly about everything you know all the way through yeah. history the, f- yeah. the, f- the future is the most terrifying thing for the human race isn't it it is yeah so um well, it yeah. sounds great yeah it's a that's a rabbit hole okay I'll give um, that a good look. And what's that again? That's pessimists.co. Okay, cool. Let's dig into that. Yeah, it won't be that talking good. Of, mm-hmm. And <laughs> talking of digging in, ah, have you got have you got a pie? Yeah, I'll go and get one. You crack in. Okay. You crack on. Right. Well, I'm I'm going to dig in. I've got a steak and Guinness pie from Armstrong's Butchers in St Margaret's. I've had their pies before, and they're marvellous. I haven't had the steak and Guinness before, so I'm tucking in. It's got the flakiest of pastry. So, excuse me. That's so good. And that really is everything you want in a pie. It is. The pastry is just out of this world. Do they, do they make them there? No, I think they've got someone who makes them all for them. I think they make some pies there. Like their their kind of cheaper range of pies that kind of look like a, a football match pie, and then uh, these kind of deep filled flaky pastry ones. I think someone makes them for them, uh, but it's just delicious, really succulent steak. Not kind of a massive stout flavour to it, but just succulent, delicious, rich, and beautiful pastry. What are you going to give it? Eight point three. Start off like that, giving it an eight. Yeah, go on then. It's an eight. What have you got? I've got a D's pies. 
Mm. Uh, not heard of them. My wife was in Godalming, uh, the heart of pure evil Surrey, and uh, <laughs> she picked up a D's pie. It comes in a nice cardboard box, which I took a photograph of, and um, the, there my excitement ended because I opened the box and it's only about half the height of the box. Uh, bit mean really isn't it it's yeah. a rectangular football looking like pie it's got really good glaze on the top uh, it's been in the oven um, the magic oven for a while and uh i'm going in it's 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 um beef and ale i've got main mainly carrot as i go in here which is i know that's <laughs> going to be nuclear isn't it yeah probably oh. <laughs> Um, right, pastry is really good, really nice. Uh, it's short crust, very thin. Um, there's no gravy in the pie. Okay. I like gravy in a pie. The yeah, carrot, I do as well. Carrot scale is too big for the pie. The pie should be, you know, they're big. It's yeah, like yeah. a beef stew. You know, you get those big chunky mm. bits of carrot. So I've just literally got a mouthful of carrot. So carrot pie isn't one of my favourite things. <laughs> mm. But yeah, it tastes all right. Um, yeah, it's quite good. I'm going to give it. Um, I'm going to give it a six. That's a, gen- that's a generous six. That's a that's a good score. Mm-hmm. That's that's a good couple of pies to come back to. It doesn't taste manufactured. It tastes you know good. like someone yeah. might have made it. That's good. And what are you washing that down with? You got you, you the, finished your I'm beer? St- are you still on no, it? No, no. I've been sipping it slowly, so I'm still on the Japanese. Hit a chino nest. Oh, I had some Timothy Taylor's landlord. Yeah, Madonna's favourite. What is it? <laughs> yeah, apparently so. That's the one thing my dad's got in common with Madonna. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, when um, you know Guy Ritchie, she was married to him, wasn't she? And they used to oh, hang yes. out in pubs, like you know they were trenders, yes. and yeah. she would drink that, and their sales went through the roof when she recommended it. Blimey. As they would, I'm sure. Mm. Oh, well, that's a good note to end on. Mm-hmm. Plans for the weekend, John? <sighs> Rest. <laughs> When's Jess back? Tomorrow night. Okay. You're just going to sleep for a couple of days. <laughs> uh, no, what am I doing? Just ha- household things. Yeah, it's spring, isn't it? So mowing is. the lawn, all that kind of stuff. Tidying up the garden and planning. I'm designing our garage. Oh, exciting. Yeah. What about you? What are you up to? You got weddings? No, no weddings for a couple of weeks, which is nice. I had one last week. Uh, so no plans. So definitely get out into, into the park, see if we can do a bit of kingfisher spotting. Uh, I got some new binoculars for my birthday from my in-laws. Um, big old 15 by 70s. Uh, so I might take those out and do a bit of bird watching. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll just stand outside at night and uh, and look at the stars, which is the reason I bought them. Oh right, you can see that you can see that much, can you? Yeah, yeah, because they're yeah they're equivalent to a small telescope, really. Right. Um, so you can see you very clearly see the other night when I tried them for the first time, very clearly see the disk of Jupiter and four of its moons strung out, which is fab. So I'll just wait for a nice clear night. So we might be meeting next week just to discuss what we're going to be talking about. But it will be yes. um, we'll be back with the subject and it will be design related. Um, it will. So if you've got any ideas, 
Um, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's nice to be back in the chat land. It did is. I, did I just say chat land? You did. Keep that in. I've been reading um, too many Mr. Men books. <laughs> Maybe we should just rename the podcast Chatland. <laughs> I think we should do a whole episode on Mr. Men books. Oh, we could do. Yeah. yeah. It's, all I'm, it's all I'm reading at the moment. Big fan as a kid. Really? Yeah. yeah. They go, they're, they're really bizarre, aren't they, some of them? They are a bit. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, lovely to talk to you, John. You too. Thank and you to everyone for listening. Yeah. And have a good weekend. Yeah. Cheerio. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye. Sequence stars were no good for making carbon in this life.